Steve, happy Monday. Happy Monday to you. How are you, man? Good. Yeah, good. Fun weekend. We banquet season had the wild sheep, Idaho wild sheep banquet on Saturday. So went down to that and had a good time. Had a few too many drinks, but that happens. <laughs> <laughs> you're there celebrating because you're you're part of the club now, right? You have oh, yeah, Idaho sure. wild yeah. Sheep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So real quick, Steve, before we get to the listener questions, uh, we got something coming up this week to tell folks about that uh, they might be quite interested in what's happening. Uh, yeah, we're just doing, so we have basically what we're calling a blemish sale. <laughs> we had a first light, uh, they supplied the fabric for us for the stretch and the Cordura and just the last shipment we got really back in January, the uh, Cordura, just like, the, there's always like a color variance, but this time the color variance between the two fabrics was, um, just definitely more noticeable to us. And we kind of first saw it and was like, yeah, it's, it looks okay. And then once we actually built a pack and you see all the fabrics sewn together. Um, my first reaction was like, Oh man, that doesn't look good. Uh, and then, you know, we kind of hemmed and hawed on it. Cause frankly, it's, uh, we had already built quite a few of these packs. Um, but in the end we decided to basically just get rid of them in the sense of we're just going to do a big sale on them until they're gone. And then, uh, just due to fabric minimums, we've got a bunch of this Cordura. So we're just going to switch back over to tan stretch panels going forward, but we've got all these basically mismatched, uh, fusion packs built up and there. We got really is a whole month of production. Um, so there's 1800s, 32s, 48s, 64s, and even some born and raised bags mixed in there. Uh, so the sale is going to start this Wednesday and they're doing a hundred dollars off the complete pack. And if you want to pick up uh, a bag only, it's $50 off and it's just kind of flat pricing. doesn't matter what, um, what bag or pack combination size you get. It's just a hundred dollars off complete and $50 off a, a bag only. Yeah. It's funny. I, you know, the guys, when you see the sale launch, which again is Wednesday morning, so don't uh, go there looking for it. Now, the best thing to do is to make sure you're signed up to receive our emails and that we'll send an email as soon as the sale starts um, and you guys will see that. So again, there'll be a link in the show description to sign up to get notified. But um, when that sale does launch and if you guys are looking at packs, we the photos that we're showing are the actual blemish packs. And so you'll get an idea of this type of color variance we're talking about. Um, and it's funny, Steve, you know, you have number one, a really good eye. Cause you've seen thousands and thousands of these packs for the years. And number two, you have like crazy high picky standards. Um, and I know that some customers will see what we're talking about, but I fully expect that some customers can be like, now what's wrong with these again? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah certainly like it's, it depends on the person's one. It depends on the person and it's, it's not, it's not terrible by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, people are pretty used to buying a jacket and if it's got different materials on it, the camouflage never quite matches. This was just like, it's like the base tone of them was just off enough that um, I just didn't feel good about selling them at full price, man. Like, I don't know how else to put it. Yeah. Um, a couple of years ago, I sat down with everybody in the warehouse and said, Hey, I want to treat every single pack that goes out this door as if that person has saved up for a couple of years. Cause certainly we get a lot of guys that money's tight and they really want to pack and they, they save and save and re- work really hard to, to get that money set aside to buy a pack. And, and I don't ever want to disappoint that person with, you know, something that's minor, right. Um, uh, that seems minor to us, but to them, it's like, there, there's so much anticipation to get the pack that, uh, anything is, um, kind of just like, Oh man, you know, that this one stitch is a little crooked or this isn't quite aligned. Right. And, uh, 
really. So we just take that model into every pack that goes out the door. And, and these certainly to me don't qualify in that standard. So plenty of people, we, we showed it to 20, 30 different people that came into the office. Like, what do you think about this color? And some people are like, yeah, I see a difference, but I don't really, it's not that bad, you know? And, and then you kind of, when you do put it next to a fusion pack that we're selling right now, you can, the contrast is, is there for sure. But uh, again, we're just essentially decided to sell these at a, a discount. I don't anticipate it to go fast. You never know. Um, but it's more like more along the lines of let's just sell these at a discount. People understand that the, the, uh, the aesthetic isn't up to our standards, um, but they get a good deal on the pack. And then uh, frankly, it's just getting rid of them fast so we can just kind of change over inventory and not have to handle um, multiple different fusion variations within our warehouse. And then we can just start shipping the We've already started building the ones with the tan stretch panels and they look fantastic. They look really, really good. So, yeah, cool. Well, again, guys, I know that uh, you may have some questions on those. Those will be answered when the sale launches again, that's Wednesday. So sign up uh, to become an EXO insider, get our newsletters. And that's when things will kick off. Diving into questions today, we actually uh, had a question on pack cleaning, which is uh, important for this time of year. Guys are training or bear hunting, potentially getting their pack sweaty, dirty, bloody, et cetera. And then also to touch on some pack damage, which you'll hear more about uh, in a minute, but let's kick it off with this listener question. Hey guys, Jared here from Southeast New Mexico. My question for you is pack maintenance. Say you have a great season, you hauled out a bunch of animals, whatnot. You got a bloody, stinking pack. What what techniques are y'all using to clean y'all's packs? As far as chemical goes, are you using pressure washers? Or are you just soaking it in the bathtub? I'd like to get y'all's thoughts on that. Thanks. All right, Steve. So he mentions chemicals, pressure washers, soaks. What is the best course of action for cleaning a pack in particular after you've packed out an animal with it? Uh, number one, if you can get really cold Creek water on the pack right away, that's usually does a very good job. Um, if you've packed out and the pack's bloody, uh, so you're back at the truck and there's a running Creek nearby and you're like on your way home, dump all the contents of your pack out um in the back seat of your truck and then get down to that creek and just hand wash get all that blood off because it's going to come out pretty easily and, and uh, quickly in that really cold water if it's the end of the season the pack stinks it's covered in blood the yeah so ice cold water uh pulls that blood out of the fabric so we recommend just like a 20 30 minute soak in in a in your bathtub or if you've got like a big sink in your laundry room or something like that um dump a you know couple bags of ice in there fill it up with cold water and let that sucker soak for 30 minutes and it's really going to pull a lot of the blood out and then then i'll just sprinkle the pack with some detergent um, and i it really doesn't matter i don't don't use anything super aggressive but just whatever like i use this stuff called sports suds it's um just kind of a good cleaner that i don't think has a, too many chemicals in it as far as UV brighteners and stuff like that. Uh, just, I'll just sprinkle that powder on the pack and then, you know, either hand wash it. Sometimes I've taken an old dish scrubber on the really stubborn bloody spots. If they're still there and scrub a little bit, rinse it off and air dry it. Uh, it's pretty much it. And it, it cleans up good. Certainly um, the, uh, if it's, if there's a lot of 
you know, chunky meat and stuff on there. Uh, I'll take it in the backyard first and then just take my hose to it and not, not a pressure washer, but you know, you could have a little nozzle on there where it's kind of shooting out a good stream and, and just get all the, the bigger debris off of it and then, and then do that ice soak. But uh, yeah, definitely the tricks, of the ice soak. I, I, I learned that from a customer, actually, he brought in a pack. This was years ago and it was just like, it looked brand new. Uh, and I know the guy had packed out a lot of animals in it. You know, I'd see him on Instagram all the time. I'm like, what the heck do you do to clean the pack? And he just said, I do a nice bath. So I learned that from him. And ever since then, I do the same thing myself. It works great. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. As I mentioned, avoid pressure washers. Um, I've seen customers take their pack, you know, like to the, to the do-it-yourself car wash and hang it up where you hang up your floor mats and they're like blasting it with a pressure washer. And, you know, if you use some care and common sense, it's probably okay with distance, but obviously pressure washers can damage things like concrete and car paint, which, you know, uh, are going to withstand things. So if they can damage that, it can certainly damage a pack. Um, and then you know, we get questions on washing machines and that's always a difficult one because there's different types of machines, different agitators, et cetera. It's just generally not needed. And so we just want to take the most effective, least invasive approach, uh, which is this cold soak and mild detergents and then hand washing it. Uh, Steve, a question that comes up just occasionally, and it actually came up in one of the, the questions, but I'm not going to play it is treatments on the pack. So do you need to um, use like a DWR treatment on the pack itself? Mm, only if your pack is three, four, five years old. I've never actually used one, um, but I, certainly there's the, oh, who's the main company that does all that stuff? Oh, Nick man. Wax. Yes. Yeah. Nick Wax makes a technical gear and clothing spray or something like that that adds a DWR that I've used on old tents and things like that in the past. Certainly, you could do that after a while. It's not going to hurt the pack at all. Um, just spraying it on the corridor to add some DWR if it's been a, if you had, had it for a while. Um, but that DWR coating lasts quite a while on the face of the fabric. So uh, it's not something if it's only, you know, a year or two years old. And, and you can test that yourself. Just pour a little bit of water on the fabric, you know, make a little dish and just see if it's still beating up on the fabric and not soaking in. Um, yeah, it wouldn't hurt anything, but at the same time, unnecessary if the pack's under two to three years old, I'd say. Got it. Okay. And then finally, just wanted to mention guys, while we are on this topic of cleaning, it, it made me think of a recent Instagram post that Jake shared from our EXO accounts. Uh, and it was showing some damage to a pack that came from, a customer that left some food in their pack. And I think we've mentioned this on the podcast before, but one of the most common warranty slash repair slash oh crap help me questions we get is guys who leave food in their pack, sometimes even just wrappers in their pack, or they haven't cleaned it and now it is bloody. And whether it's their dog or whether it's some sort of like rodent or small critter getting to it. And so I just want to reiterate for folks, it's so important after each trip to make sure that you empty your pack of any food or clean it if it is bloody um, and think through how you're storing that pack as well. So if you guys want to see an unfortunate example of the type of damage that can happen simply from leaving like a granola bar in your pack, um, we'll leave a link in the show description to that recent Instagram post and this customer's photos that he sent in. Um, we are always happy to work with folks and try and make 
repairs and things like that. But sometimes, as in this case, this pack was pretty much beyond being repairable. And it was literally just because you left some food in it. So um, yeah, a, a word of caution there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, Steve, I want to tackle an email question before we dive back into some audio questions. And this one is on arrow weight. Uh, this guy wrote in and said, in your opinion, is a 412 grain arrow too light for elk hunting. This guy went on to explain that last year he shot a particular arrow setup that was 432 grains. He changed his arrow setup this year, not to specifically change weight because he was looking to try a new arrow. Um, he was dropping in diameter. He wanted to get to a four millimeter shaft. He started crunching some numbers on the four millimeter FMJs, and that was going to put him to a 490 grain total arrow weight, which he said was heavier than he wanted. And so he settled on a four millimeter axis shaft. So his total arrow weight uh, with this four millimeter axis arrow is 412 grains. And he said it's at 289 feet per second out of his bow. He says the arrows are flying great, noticeably tighter groups, especially at 50 plus yards compared to what he shot last year. So long story short, he says, am I overthinking this? And should I stay with the better flying lighter arrow? Or is this too light for elk? If it is too light, should I add a wrap, heavier insert, or something else? What are your thoughts, Steve? Perfect. It's absolutely perfect. Um, I personally have hunted from probably 390 to 440 over the last 15 years as far as arrow weights. I've you know, had a pass-through on every single elk I have shot. Um, a lot of that obviously is your broadhead, right? We, we, we've been talking a lot about bullet selection the last couple of years. Um, broadhead selection is going to be a big part of that. So uh, just in general, you want something that's going to cut well and penetrate, you know, deeply. Um, so just, you know, a mechanical is going to take some energy out. If, if he's in a state that's allows mechanicals, Idaho's all fixed blade broadheads. So um, anything with just a good cut on contact tip, I wouldn't go more than an inch and an eighth in cutting diameter. Uh, I think some of the inch and a quarter stuff gets, you know, that really to get that wider cutting diameter, you've got to have a steeper blade angle to achieve that because you really, you do want a short compact broadhead as a general rule. They're just going to fly better, less surface area up there. Um, so if you got a short broadhead and an inch and a quarter cutting diameter, just, just, you know, it's going to have the blade angle is going to be fairly steep. So, uh, when that blade inserts or enters the animal, it's going to just, you know, be more abrupt stop and cutting versus kind of slicing. So good broadhead. And, uh, yeah, I, like my hunting arrows right now, I think are 424, 425, something like that. And, uh, they've just been absolutely perfect. So I think it's a good, um, it's a good balance of flight, um, so, you know, if you jump up to that, you know, 490 grain arrow it once you get past 50 yards, you're really going to start seeing those, those heavier arrows drop faster. Right. And when you're archery hunting, you know, you got a bull there at 55 yards. Uh, and then, you know, by the time you range, knock an arrow, draw, he steps, you know, two yards closer, two yards further. Uh, you do want a flat shooting arrow for some forgiveness there. Uh, and so I think that's where that 400 grain arrow going 290 feet per second is just going to be a very lethal combo. Uh, there's certainly been a trend in archery industry to go very heavy, you know, these 
550, 600 grain arrows. And uh, I think it's just all overkill in my opinion, but yeah. Uh, yeah to each their own, like, as, as we said, like uh, if whatever creates confidence for you is going to, um, you know, get the job done. So you can certainly overthink this. Yeah, they're um, actually just this last week on the Exomount Gear uh, journal. Uh, Josh Kirchner from Dialed and Hunter had an article about arrow weight versus arrow speed. And it, it's kind of all about what you said, Steve, is, is talking about balance, talking about the pros and cons. Uh, the premise of the article wasn't to say, here's the magical number, because number one, you can't overthink it. Number two, it, it does depend on scenarios, right? It depends on shot distances, you know, the animals that you're hunting, different things like that. So if, if you guys are hearing this and they're wondering what is, you know, the pro or con of being light or being heavy, or what should I look for in finding balance? Definitely go check out um, that article, uh, which we'll leave that link to. But yeah, I think um, I'm right there with you, Steve. I tend to be, I think I, I'm actually playing with right now um, some of Easton's uh, Axis long range arrows and I was just crunching the numbers on those and they should end up right between 430 to 440. Um, and that's the thing to keep in mind as you guys are looking at this or considering things is crunch the numbers before you build, right? Like it's, it's, it can be overwhelming to look at how many options are out there these days, especially because aero systems have gotten more complicated. There's more systems, there's more different inserts and outserts and different options and things like that to customize. But that's one good thing is you really can look at, okay, I'm going to get this shaft. It weighs, you know, this much grain per inch. I'm going to cut it here. I'm going to run this insert or this outsert, this head, this knock, this wrap, these vein, like you can do all that math ahead of time to figure out where you want to be, where you want to end up. Um, and you don't have to just start cutting arrows and spending money and wasting time and then seeing where that is. So it's math you can do in advance, but, um, another question that was very similar that came through, um, jo uh, Jason wrote in and said, I've been looking into upgrading my archery setup and I'm a little overwhelmed with all the details on arrow builds for elk. I'd like to hear you guys take a deep dive on ideal arrow weight, diameter, FOC and speed. If you already hit this in a previous podcast, can you point me to it? So I did want to cover that as a, you know, we could talk for three hours about all of what's ideal and pros and cons. Number one, I mentioned that recent article, but for guys like Jason, or for some of you listening, I wanted to throw out um, some prior episodes that we have done that do go very in depth on these topics. Uh, and so episode 66, episode 122, episode 123, and episode 236 are all great episodes that talk about arrow setups, uh, broadhead choice, everything down to vein choice and, you know, looking at FOC and drag and we get deep in all those episodes. So I'll leave links to those uh, in the show description of well, as well, if you uh, like Jason are looking for more of a full depth conversation. All right, Steve. Um, Let's talk real quick about some options for preference points, bonus points, and hunt draws. Here's this question. Yeah, I think a good uh, podcast topic would be discussing the, being, being that it's draw season, discussing the states that have preference point systems versus the states that are lottery like New 
Mexico and Idaho. And if um, what people prefer and um, maybe ways to solve the point creep issue and if like states like Colorado or Utah would ever go away from um, preference points and the logistics of getting away from preference points if you think they ever could. Thanks. All right. So that is a deep question. And the reason I wanted to mention this right away is, uh, you know, this gentleman mentioned we're in the midst of draw season and that's true to an extent, but unfortunately a lot of things um, have already taken place. So there's a bunch of States and opportunities that you cannot put in for, for hunts, but there's still quite a few left. And because of that, and because it's very timely, um, I wanted to number one, share that question. And then two point you to some resources. So the guys at hunt and fool have the, I've referenced this so many times, even over the last couple of months, they have a draw deadline page and it goes state by state and in chronological order will show you every draw deadline that's upcoming. So as I mentioned, some have closed, uh, but there still are opportunities that you could enter to currently. And so go check out that link for the draw deadlines. And then he mentioned several, again, deep topics in that conversation about bonus points versus preference points and the future of point systems and, you know, our state stuck and will there be changes because, you know, in, in many instances, these systems really kind of aren't working. <laughs> um, and again, wanted to point you guys back to a recent podcast as well as one that was about a year ago. Um, so episodes 269 and episodes 326 go in depth on those topics and very related topics as well. So again, just wanted to, for you guys asking these questions, thinking about these topics, give you those resources uh, because it it is timely. uh, And it's also something that's kind of coming to pass soon. Steve, we had some follow-ups when we talked last week about Creek crossings and some good feedback on that. You know, guys were mentioning that they hadn't thought about some of those things before. And then there was a couple things that came across that I don't, I don't think we mentioned explicitly is definitely things I feel like I've done intuitively, but we didn't call them out. And one of those tips that is important uh, is from Tim. And he wrote in about the importance of when you're crossing and you're wearing a pack, keeping the chest strap or the sternum strap and the hip belt unbuckled. And this is, you know, in potentially swifter water or deeper water, basically, if, if there's a risk that you go down, you want to be able to, if you have to get out of that pack and especially in a heavy pack, not having it pull you down or hold you down. So that is an important safety thing to keep in mind. Uh, obviously assess the situation as always and see if that's, um, something to be concerned about or not, because it, it isn't always, but it's definitely something to keep in mind in swifter water for sure. All right. Tim also shared one other quick tip. Um, and he basically said that his preferred method for crossing was to face upstream and then sidestep across yeah. the Creek. Um, again, we talked a bit about like angling into the current. Um, so touched on that briefly, but, um, just wanted to reiterate that tip. Uh, and then he also mentioned trekking poles, which we did touch on. So, just a quick follow-up. We had, a, again, a bunch of great responses, but Tim shared those tips, which uh, would be helpful to share yeah. as well. I'm, I'm, I'm like thinking about the unbuckling of the pack and it's like you, 
I don't know how I feel about that one. It makes a lot of sense if it's like truly, you know, dangerous, but at the same time, if I fall in, I want my pack with me and my change of clothes and, and gear. But yeah, if it's like, you know, you're going to, it's the potential to drown. What if it's that bad? I'm not crossing unless it's a correct, like a, an absolute must situation. But if your pack's loose, then you step off, you know, slide off a rock. And then that momentum of the pack swings around and ends up knocking you over. Um, I could certainly see in a dangerous situation. That's a, it's a good idea for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm at, maybe it's like, a you know, on the death hike this year, we're going to have some Creek crossings where it's like this just ripping water. Uh, you know, it's only 10 feet wide, but it's just cruising through there. I think that scenario, it's probably a good idea to take it off. Cause if it, you know, you get caught up in that, it's moving so fast. You can't regain your, you know, regain your footing and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that yeah, that I could go deep on that now because it makes me think of all different <laughs> things we could do on the death hike and, and being in groups and tying off packs to where you know it's not tied to you, but it's retrievable and yeah, yeah. we could go deep on that. Um, Steve, one uh, suggestion that came through um, as we've been talking about different questions and now it's podcast was actually a couple. A few guys said this was basically, "Hey, I hear you guys talk about stuff." Um, and new gear you're testing, new things you're trying, et cetera. And there's basically suggestions on making that more of a, call it like a regular segment, if you will, um, to talk about maybe like what's new and maybe it's something we're trying again, could be technique wise, something we're going to try on new on new hunts. Maybe it's new gear we got in and it's not full depth reviews, but kind of sharing first impressions. Mm Mm-hmm. And I thought that that would be good because a lot of times, Steve, you and I do have those conversations uh, and we don't always have them on the podcast, but it's, you know, you go, yeah. Hey, I got this and I tried that and yada, yada, yada. So um, I had one in mind just to mention quick, but as I throw that at you, cause I didn't prepare you for that. Is there anything kind of new, kind of good, kind of something you're trying that comes to mind immediately? Try Well, we've got the XLR chassis showing up and then I've also ordered a carbon chassis from NDT. Um, that I'm super excited to, to shoot and check out, uh, see which one of those two I like better. And always still searching for a shoe boot. That's going to work. I don't know what I'm going to wear for the death. hike. don't know what we're going to wear on the sheep hunt. Um, I don't have anything at the moment. That's uh, super promising. Um, I did find, uh, Oh gosh, dang it. Um, Technica, uh, we had their, one of their designers on, quite a few years ago talking about yeah. the plasma or the forge, forge one of the two. yeah so i ordered the forge. plasmas here recently and uh i was very impressed with them i did a lot i probably got four or five hundred miles hiking on them um and they were they were good they're just the i did a couple like longer like 10 mile days and by the the end of those hikes my feet were getting kind of tired but up until that they felt phenomenal so um i had questioned the grip on them but they ended up they're not very deep lugs and they're kind of wide spaced uh, but they ended up doing all right they were kind of terrible in slippery snow conditions but other than that on dry rocks and dirt and stuff like that they did really well so uh i've got some of that we talked about the um canis gear um uh, so i ordered some of their clothing from them after meeting those guys at hunt expo and uh they've got some pretty pretty nice pieces there's a lot of um you're certainly going to see that company take more and more market share over the years. They're, they're, they're young. They're just getting started, but they're doing things right. 
um, doing things very well. Um, I certainly think you will see them over the next, you know, three to five years um, start to kind of, you know, you're just going to see that pop up a lot more places as they're making some good stuff. So in fact, we're going to, we, their designer, his name is Marcel. Uh, He's not a hunter, but he's um, a clothing designer. And we're going to have him on the podcast here coming up soon to talk about uh, um, Gore-Tex or not necessarily specific to Gore-Tex, but just rain gear and stuff like that. He has uh, being a designer and design for different companies, mainly in the outdoor industry. Um, He's gotten to use everything. So he was, uh, uh, when I met him, it was, we'd talked about this prior about going through breathability and waterproofness and all that stuff. He's a, he's a perfect candidate to, he, he knows that stuff inside and out. So I'm excited to have that conversation. Nice. Yeah. The one thing there's kind of several, like you said, uh, XLR chassis are just got in. Actually, I just dropped my barrel action into one last night and starting to get that set up. So I'm excited to get that in the field. Another thing that I ran across recently uh, was a scoped action cover from uh, a couple small guys. It's the Thunderbird Long Range. Um, they're building shooting bags, rear rests, things like that. But I happened to see their scoped action cover. And it's just a really light, simple solution to uh, provide some cover for, as it says, your scope and your action. Um, and so you know, in particular, it's not something I see myself using on every hunt, but, you know, if I expect it to be very rainy or it's one of those hunts where it's very brushy and your rifle's just going to go through a lot, see a lot of precipitation. Um, it's, it's a cool piece. It's really light. It's not padded. Um, there's no buckles, no zippers. It's more of like an elastic on either end and you begin to affix it on your scope. Um, and then think of wrapping it down around your rifle, around the action and back up, and then it affixes to your scope again. And um, it's a really light, simple design. What I appreciate about the guys they are building everything in the US and everything's custom. So they do offer kind of some standard options, but I told them what scope I was using and some of what I was looking for. And they basically built me a custom one and, and sent it out. So um, it's something I, you know, thinking of the goat hunts that I may be taking along um, for that. So that's, uh, one thing that's kind of new and honestly something I hadn't heard of and probably a lot of guys haven't. So go check that out if that sounds interesting. All right, guys, we have a ton more questions coming. Um, so again, really excited to continue to dive into a lot of what you guys already have submitted. But once again, if you have a question you want to share with us, and especially right now in this month, want to enter that custom knife giveaway, just look for that link in the show description to leave a message and you'll be entered automatically. And again, if you haven't yet hit that subscribe or follow button in your podcast app so that you receive future episodes automatically, and we'll talk to you soon.